the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat. We are currently looking at, I got about the nine-ish, 8.54-minute mark in the fourth quarter. Michigan holding on to a nine-point lead against Purdue in the Big Ten Championship game. Clemson putting things on ice right now against North Carolina, up 39-10. to 10. Lots to get to in both of those games, obviously, when they conclude, but so much more to dive into from Championship Saturday. It got started early as we had to go to extra time. World Cup reference. Overtime as Kansas State wins 31-28. to A couple of third down and fourth down stops by the defense comes through huge. Uh, Georgia puts a 50-burger on the board in the same building where they're probably about to play a semifinal. And uh, I, they're... I'm, we're efforting, okay? I don't know if Nick Saban will also be joining this show as he joined about four to five other programs with his Crimson Blazer mid-stump speech. I mean, even him and Urban Meyer yucking it up. He went over to Fox. That's how desperate is Alabama to politic its way into the final four of the college football playoff selection committee rankings. Nick Saban went to Fox. Good gravy. Lots to get to. Um, oh, yeah, and also uh, Colorado has now officially announced uh, Deion Sanders as its new head coach. Shout out to Tom Fernelli rocking the buffs right there. We will have Dion Colorado content coming up here shortly, but I kind of want to begin with just like the game of Kansas State TCU. Is that cool with y'all? Yeah. Yeah, it was a good game. Because that's the thing is like, this is a phenomenal contest. It's the second straight year that this Big 12 title game has been a thriller, a banger. And this time, it had national championship implications. What did this Kansas State team show you? Because 
already the defense is banged up coming into the game. We have more injuries on the defensive side of the ball. We have Malik Knowles come up with one of the like huge explosive plays in this game, and then he ends up getting knocked out with an injury. What did this Kansas State team do well in order to get this Big 12 championship? The program's first outright championship since 2003. They shared a championship in 2012, but a... a incredible program mark for Kansas State. What in this game did Kansas State do well and impress you with? I thought they answered really well. I thought they stuck to their game plan for the most part, even when guys went out and they leaned on their best players, right? They, they, they get down seven, nothing early. They punch back with Knowles. Knowles gets hurt. They're like, all right, you know what? We're going to find different ways to get the ball in Deuce Vaughn's hands. And they did. And I thought they converted at critical times uh, better than TCU did in this game. TCU had more yards. TCU had a higher yards per play. But I think w- w- when we look at the like the real high leverage downs, we're going to see that Kansas State was really good in those situational spots. They look like a really well coached team. And you know, we said on Wednesday, like, kind of have a suspicion that that Kansas State might be the best team in the Big Twelve, and they did not get it done in the way I thought they would get it done. Even though the game you know, went under barely uh, because they only had what I think two tackles for loss and, and one sack. And I, I thought their defensive line would make a bigger impact. I, I thought creative play calling was, was great for them. And uh, they, they went out and got it done by getting the Paul and Deuce hands. What did he, th- he touched it? 20, 29 touches, I think. And oh, yeah, it number one yeah. passing option too. Mm-hmm. like, let's put him yeah. in the slot. Let's flex him out wide. Let's throw it to him out of the backfield. Like it was, it, it was the Marshall uh, Falkian, like the way they were running him downfield from like motion him out to the slot and then not just throw him a little like bubble or, or, or slip stuff. I mean, he's running post routes for these guys as, as a five foot five dude. That's that was wild. Yeah. Um, TC, I, I still don't agree that Kansas State's the best team in the Big 12. <laughs> I mean, they won the game. They deserve to win the game. They played very well, but. They beat TCU by three points in overtime after TCU went twelve and zero in the regular season in the Big and scored a touchdown. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's the other thing too. Yeah, TCU, yeah, yeah. And, TCU and, missed and a field had goal. The ball extended past the plane. Yeah, yeah, TCU missed a field goal. Had a touchdown that didn't count for reasons. Uh, had a kind of a weird spot even before that, which they were down at the one inch line, and they got the ball at about the full yard line. Just. Again, Kansas State's a very good team. Kansas State did nothing wrong today that didn't that would make me say they didn't deserve to win this game. They did. Chris Kleiman and the Wildcats should be thrilled. I just don't know if today's result proves to me that they actually were the best team in the Big 12. I think they were just the better team today and that TCU was the better team on the entire season. So the one That's thing that stood out yeah. the one thing mm-hmm. that stood out to me was that like nothing was easy for TCU. No. And that's where you've got to really credit because this is one of the most explosive offenses in the entire country, and everything felt so laborious for TCU as it moved down the field. I mean, just like hero ball from Max Duggan to be able to try and will this thing into even getting to the overtime period. I just I, I thought that Kansas State did a really good job of sending a lot of pressure, uh, putting a lot of heat on Duggan making life difficult. You can't get those long downfield passing plays if he's running for his life and doesn't have the time for those plays to develop. Kansas State was gambling on that. Okay, we're banged up in the defensive backfield. That's cool. Let's just send pressure 
and let's figure out a way to be able to make this thing happen. I thought that being able to make it so difficult for TCU to even get to 28 points in regulation and like how exhausting it seemed for TCU to get there uh, was, was a, a credit to, you know, Kansas State's game plan both before and then also in the game once things unfolded. Do you know, do you know what this, do you know what today was if we want to include last night, Chip? If we look at Caleb Williams and Max Duggan and Jaden Daniels, today was a real gut check Saturday. Gut check Saturday. Like Max Duggan in this game looked he 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 was going full Jake Hayner, where like he he looked like he was dying out there for his team, struggling to get up. But when the help came, he's waving him off. He's like, No, no, I can do it. I can do it on my own. And it was just it was very inspiring. It was very gritty. Did you hear Holly Rowe counting the cuts? Yes. Yeah. Holly, like she's Holly, like, oh, he's cut. He's cut. He's bleeding no. everywhere. I, oh. I count at least seven. I love Holly. I like Holly's like out here like, I count 17 or 18 nicks and cuts on this man. Holly's <laughs> got her chart out. She's like, well, there's one on the she's left. Like, well, okay, looking like, like a forensics like, report. Yeah, I oh, see raspberries. I see bruises. I see, I see strawberries. I see rug burn, turf burn. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he was, he, dude, he was beat the hell up and he gutted it out because he knew how important this game was and how important it was for them. And they came up short because, like you said, Kansas State, like the reason he was banged up is because Kansas State was making everything hard. Kansas State's defense is salty as hell. They made TCU work for every single inch that they got. It wore them down. And at the end of the game, when they needed just a yard to finish it off or win the game, they couldn't get it, or they couldn't get it convincingly because they were just worn down by Kansas State's defense. I, I do think they got it, by the way. Um, oh, but yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he extended the ball across the plane, like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you go like by the definition of a touchdown, okay, that was one. Sure. I, I yeah, I, I agree with you there. I will say, I don't, I don't hate the play call. Um, other than the fact that like you are so close to the, to the goal line, I, I would like to see a sneak there or at least to, like the option for the, for the sneak that uh, on the one, it did look to me like, like he had a natural bubble over like between the, the guard and center there because they really weren't playing somebody shaded right over the center. So I thought maybe, maybe you could, you could sneak that in there, but I, I do want to point out like Kendrick Miller has been an excellent short yardage back all year. Go watch the Baylor game, right? Go watch the Texas game. Miller, when they needed short yardage stuff, was really pretty damn good for them all year. So I don't, I don't hate putting the ball in his hands. Oh, you mean like as opposed to the the Duggan sneak, which was the, yeah. the sort of like refrain was like, why don't you just let your big old thick quarterback get up in there and just sort of stuff it and see if he can, you know, take care of business? Because he was right. dying, <laughs> because <laughs> and he was exhausted. So, that part. Um, you know, we are going to do some some more like college football playoff slash rankings predictions a little bit later on in the show. But since we just discussed it, TCU still in, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, TCU has two better wins than anything Alabama has, at least maybe three. TCU's loss is also better than either of Alabama's losses. Think and about it's it. a loss to a team it beat already. Like, Correct. It's a loss to a team it beat. It's a loss in overtime by three. The Tennessee team that beat Alabama 
got its doors blown off three weeks later. Okay. The Tennessee team or the LSU team that beat Alabama went on to look like crap against Arkansas to lose convincingly against the terrible AM team and then get its doors blown off by Georgia. That kind of stuff is out of Alabama's control, but what is in Alabama's control is beating those teams or or not. And they didn't do it. Like they don't have good wins. By the power ratings, which was Nick Saban's argument tonight, Alabama is going to be power rated over TCU. In mine, too, by the way. And I've had to manually drop them some because I'm tired of losing money on Alabama on, on, on these, you know, these big games because Vegas has them overrated. I do too. Here's the thing, though. Even if you want to take those power ratings, use those power ratings as the rating that you use for team quality, and then put that in your resume model. What you're going to find is that TCU comes out way ahead mm-hmm. because Bama just does not have the wins this year. Like this is not the test case for the committee to throw, to throw the first ever two loss team in. I, I'm, I would be absolutely floored tomorrow, and not like an outrage standpoint, but just like I would, I would be shocked if they put the Alabama in over TCU. Also, if the college football playoff is just going to consist of teams that have high power ratings who we think are capable of winning a national title, well, then let's just pick the four teams in August because we got a pretty good idea who they are, and we just won't play the regular season. We'll just play the playoff in August and call it a year. Do you know who who would have been in on some polls? The Aggies. The Aggies, yeah. Yeah. How how would that have worked out, right? And and like the thing with the power ratings is – the best power ratings are always going to incorporate priors from last year and the year before, and honestly, a little bit of three years ago, too. And they're never going to take out fully the recruiting rankings. But for this year, like this is the national title year of this year, not of some amalgamation of the prior four years all mixed and matched and, and get the right the right weighting on it. I don't really care how good your recruits were if I'm picking the teams to play in the playoff for this year's national title. I care how well those recruits played in the 12 or 13 games that you played. So there's, there's a he, simple path. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Let's just say there's a simple path to reach the college football playoff. Play your games and don't lose any of them. If you lose one, you could still make it. You got to hope for, you know, help elsewhere. You lose twice, shut up and live with it. Period. So Nick Saban's arguments included provide context for what happened early in the season. And number two, how good are you at the end of the season? To which I ask, how good was Alabama at the end of the season? Not great. I mean, not one of the four best teams in the country. I mean, they they finished with three wins, sure, but I you know, you, you gotta throw out the uh gotta throw out the Austin P game. Oh, Not no, a, you can't. I mean, they were they were dominant in that performance, Chip. You can't overlook Austin P. That's a solid FCS program there. Iron Bowl was a team with an interim coach. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, but I mean, even the performance, right? Like, let's just yeah. judge Alabama against its standard. What what they win by twenty three? Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, like Arkansas winning at Auburn by a similar score, Auburn punched one in very late on the road. I mean, when before Auburn was was crazy banged up, it's just as impressive. Like, they don't have the good wins. Who Who is Bama's best win this year? It's Texas. Texas. 
Okay, so so by one on the road against Texas backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. TCU has Who TCU beat by, by seven on the road against, when, against Texas starting with its quarterback. starting quarterback. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so all right, and that's not even that's not even by the way that's not their best win. No, I think I, th- I think their best win is probably Kansas State. Yes. So what about the TCU Ohio State debate? I was not aware we had we we were going to have this debate. What do you mean you were not aware? Like oh oh do you mean like who should be in or who should be higher? Who should be higher? Like if TCU. if we were going to go ahead and then we're going to say all right, so USC's out the paint. We have made the Alabama argument even despite you know TCU losing. TCU is still going to be in the top four. So who TCU. goes to put, before we pivot to the SEC championship where Georgia put a again fifty burger on the board? Who wins that one because those are two one loss teams. TCU has 12 wins. Ohio State has 11 wins. TCU, easy. It's got the better, it's got better overall wins. It's got a stronger strength of schedule. It has one loss by three points in overtime to a team it beat in the regular season. Ohio State's lone loss was at home by three scores against a team missing its best player on offense. Ohio State has no argument to be ranked ahead of TCU. TCU played in its conference championship. Ohio State didn't even win its division. Yeah, Ohio State should be four. That's I, I, I think Tom just nailed it. Yeah, I, I maybe not quite as clear as, as what Tom has, but ultimately, I, I think he's right on this. Right? Um, I don't know that I have that much to add if you think about this in, in in that way. At least Ohio State was more dominant than Bama was. Like they they won every game by double digits, but just kind of. So, so let, let's let's think about this, right? Right, and and we, not that Vegas is always right because they're not, but they're already posting lines now for, for for Michigan TCU, okay? And they're already posting lines for Georgia, Ohio State. So we kind of have a pretty good feeling of how this is going to go. Nobody's posting lines for Alabama right now, by the way. But TCU is going to be about a nine, eight and a half, somewhere in that range, maybe gets up to 10 against Michigan, which is fair. That same Michigan team won by 21 on the road at Ohio State, your your loss to Kansas State was by three in overtime. If you kind of back out those power ratings, I still think it's it's fair that that recent loss is certainly worse than the recent loss suffered by TCU. So TCU should be three. Ohio State should be four. I think well, that's what what'll happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I would like to point out somebody in the comment does make a good point. Ohio State was without its top running backs in that game too. Sure. But Michigan was still able to run the ball. So without its top running back, it still played better than Ohio State did without its top running back. Apples to apples. Applesauce. Let's go. Um, <clears throat> so speaking of the number one team in the country, the Georgia Bulldogs, who we assume will be in a semifinal matchup against Ohio State, which, I mean, Sign me up. Let's yeah. go. Mainline <laughs> that right to my veins. Kirby Smart, Ryan Day, Ohio State message boards after Georgia wins by 35. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, only because it was here on the Instant Reaction Show that we really got to dive into the Ryan Day issue. I feel like we were ahead of it and everybody else kind of followed suit in terms of understanding how ridiculous that got to the point where 
I even saw, I even seen out here in these streets, the like, what about Mike Vrabel? Maybe we can just like scare Ryan Day off to the NFL and then just go throw money at Mike Vrabel. I mean, that's the good stuff right there. But you know what, though? Like, we, I, I don't think it's happening. But Mike Vrabel would kill it if he got the Ohio State job. Uh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> you, you want to talk about a team that's always going to be tough. You want to talk about a team that is not going to get bullied. Like, it is... It, we always talk about the the pendulum swinging and the past the chalk and the ways that all these things influence each other. If Ohio State gets bullied one more time by Jim Harbaugh's Michigan, they're going to go get Mike Vrabel and they're going to stop recruiting five-star wide receivers. Mm-hmm. They're just going to go back into mash you mode. That's, 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 that's what's going to happen. I, I hope that everyone has enjoyed this modern approach that Ryan Day has brought <laughs> to Ohio State because that is going to go right back in time the second that they lose one more game to Jim Harbaugh's Michigan if it happens in bully fashion like it has the last two times. So, Georgia puts 50 on the board uh, against LSU. LSU a little bit spunky. You know, Nussmeyer comes in there and you know, get, gets Yolo. a couple. Yeah, he gets a couple scores late playing some YOLO ball. Um, but what did the Bulldogs show you here? You know, those were some bananas plays early that uh, that provided plenty of entertainment, maybe altered the way this game played out. But did Georgia, after, you know, the close win against Kentucky where the offense can't, like, quite punch it in, can't get it done in short yardage situations, Slow start against Georgia Tech. They poured on late. Did Georgia come out and give you a performance that had you inspired by uh, by the Bulldogs as the number one team in the country? Yeah, I I would say for the most part, right? The, the first, I don't know, six or seven minutes were, were maybe not incredibly impressive from Georgia. The uh, look, you, you, you get the field goal return, which felt kind of fluky. You, you got the helmet interception, which again... Felt a little bit strange to me, uh, but ultimately Georgia dominated the, the, this game in the first half. Uh, a, a key stat I, I, I parsed out here: so LSU had a hundred and sixty yards before Georgia went up thirty-five to seven, and it had four hundred yards after getting down mm-hmm. thirty-five to seven. So while it wasn't technically by the definition of garbage time, garbage time, it very much was like pseudo garbage time for the final 30 minutes. And and I don't think that the 50 to 30 score is necessarily reflective of the true level of play that we saw from these teams from about minute five to minute 30, which is really where the game was decided. Yeah, we Georgia did what we've seen it do a lot this year. We saw it do it to Tennessee. Like when it got up 35 to seven, it knew the game was over. Jaden Daniels was barely able to walk as they were getting that last second field goal before the half break there. And, Georgia knew it was like, okay, well, unless we do some of the dumbest stuff that we've ever done, there is no way in the world LSU is coming back to beat us right now. So the second half came out and wasn't like totally just go into a shell and just hand off for the last 30 minutes, but they weren't really doing anything to risk an offense and defensively. They were just dropping back. They were just like, okay, cool. Just don't give up big plays, force them to go down the field time and time again in the bunch of plays. 
burn clock. They won't have a chance. And then when we need to score, we'll go score. And that's pretty much how it worked. And LSU, I mean, Nussmeyer came in, hit some big shots. Kayshawn Booty made some big plays. The receivers got open, made some guys miss, and turned it into big plays that led to points. So all credit to LSU for doing it. But I don't think Georgia's defensive game plan in the second half was what you would have seen from them if this game was still close. I would agree with that. Um, I, I thought Stetson Bennett was was really good tonight. I mean, Caleb Heisman good. Heisman. Huh? Well, I, I, huh? Huh? Yeah, so Caleb will win the Heisman, pretty sure. But Stetson Bennett was damn good. Like, like just the, the accuracy, not really putting the ball at risk. I mean, I think he maybe had one that, that, that LSU guy even had a shot at. Ran the offense efficiently. I, I was I was pretty impressed. I, I don't want to bag on LSU because LSU has had a great season, especially given their their preseason expectations. I mean, their, their win total was was six. They were or, picked fifth in the division. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. And I think collectively we thought that was probably low, but not like, hey, they sh- they're going to win the division low. More like there's a real shot they could win seven or maybe eight games type type thing if if things break right. My wife's an LSU fan, obviously. She goes. How bad is this league that we're playing for the title this year? It's like, babe, that's a fair point. Like, need to get her on the show. This is, yeah, seriously. Like, this is one of the worst SECs we've seen in several decades overall. But that doesn't mean that Georgia is not like super killer good. I think they probably are. I mean, they're, they're clear, like, power ratings wise, like 30 above average, and their ceiling is probably like a 35. You know, like, that's really, really good but the rest of the league is just not there and i mean do we think this result would have been any different against bama or if they had to play tennessee again i I really don't no i don't think bama's got the dudes on the outside to really test this defense enough i mean that's i think the one thing that lsu has that alabama doesn't that could give them somewhat of a you know a chance in this one but as far as georgia like i was doing hq halftime for sec and you know Tommy Tran mentioned on it how they went from, I think it was like minus 160 to win the national title earlier today to minus 130 after TCU's loss because then we knew Ohio State was in or I don't know. But because Ohio State, yeah, because Ohio State gets in, it shortens Georgia's odds because Ohio State's more dangerous than whoever the other fourth team would have been. And my first instinct was, (laughs) give me it. If I can get Georgia at better odds than I could have this morning, because they're still the best team in the country. And just thinking about, like we were, you mentioned chips kind of as a joke, like just thinking about what Michigan did to Ohio state. If Ohio state's got to play Georgia in the first round, I think Ohio state can give Georgia problems, but I do think Georgia can also bully Ohio state. And I think Michigan is a very good team. If it gets past TCU, but Georgia is Michigan just with more talent. And TCU, we've seen, has struggled. And I don't think TCU is going to beat Georgia either. So it's the best team in the country to me. Time and time again, it has proven to me that I think it's the most dominant team in the country. No disrespect to Michigan, which is also still undefeated and is pulling away from Purdue here in the final minutes. But I just don't think it's at Georgia's level. Like We saw what happened last year when those two teams met. And even though I think that this team, this Georgia team is slightly worse and this Michigan team is slightly better, I just don't think they've closed the gap nearly enough. When Jalen Carter lifted Jaden Daniels into the sky... Jaden Daniels is not a tiny man. No. I, I mean, like, he's skinny, but, but, he, but he, he's not short. 
It's like, no, ref, just blow it. Like, I won't, I won't throw him to the ground. Like, those are legitimate professionals. They are professionals in that they will be playing in the NFL, but they are professionals in that they're already on that, like, oh, no, 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 I got it. He's not going anywhere. I'm just going to sit here and bear hog him till you blow the whistle, and we're just going to keep things moving. All right, gentlemen, let's go. Jaden Daniels does that to you. What do you do? If Jaden Daniels, like, bear hugs me and lifts me in the sky? It just starts holding you in the sky like you're, like, his toy. Oh, no, Jalen, if Jalen Carter does that. I'm sorry, Jalen Carter, not Jalen, yeah. I, you know, actually, my instinct would be to thrash, which would only make it worse. I understand oh, that it would only, you know, rest it's just in like, peace, Chip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> your options are to go limp or thrash, and I, I will tell you that I would rather, I would rather thrash, and just end it faster. But at least if you go limp, it might just put you down. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, I, I, a hundred percent understand. But I've, I'm a thrasher. I can't, I can't help it. Just kind of instinctive right there. I would just be like, is there anything else I could do for you, sir? <laughs> I mean, it's, it is so impressive uh, the way that, and that Georgia defense started the year. You know, we've got like, you know, new change up in leadership, so much turnover from the personnel perspective. They are not as, you know, advanced in terms of, you know, just it's more like line it up, go get it, just be better than everyone, as opposed to like really being highly advanced with your twists, your stunts, your communications, your checks. Like, and I think they're getting better. I I think they are adding to their repertoire as they get here late in the season. And we're going to give this team a month off, not a month. We're going to give this team 28 days off to prepare for Ohio State, I I think they're going to be just fine. Ohio State's got a killer offense, but I think they can cause some problems for the Buckeyes. If if we're going to nitpick it, um, LSU's receivers did have some success against Georgia's corners, so I do think Ohio State has better receivers. If JSN decided he wanted to play, that would be I mean huge. I don't think that's going to happen, obviously, uh, but. I'm not sure that Georgia's corners are as good as as they've been in prior years. So maybe Ohio State can get them some there. I do think that Georgia probably has to blitz to get pressure on Ohio State, which means you may get some more of those one-on-ones. I don't know that Georgia's pass rush is all that good. We, we've talked about uh, their, non, their non-blitz pass rush, just to be clear. I think Georgia's blitz packages are, are, are freaking awesome. And I do think that Ohio State's offensive tackles are better than LSU's. LSU's are freshmen and they got exposed some tonight. Or, well, this afternoon, I guess. Ohio State's are not bad. Um, speaking of offensive tackles, by the way, McClendon goes down for Georgia and Amarius Mims steps in and is just as good, right? It was just, it was crazy. Uh, like he just bullied everybody out of the way. Like the physicality Georgia plays with, it does look different from every other team out there, basically. Michigan occasionally plays that, but I think Georgia does it more often. Mm. So we've got a couple finals now. Michigan 43, Purdue 22. We will continue with our championship Saturday recap with thoughts on the Big Ten, the ACC, a huge win for Willie Fritz and Tulane. All that and more 
Plus, Dion, Coach Prime in Boulder. Thoughts on that? Next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the final in in uh, Indianapolis means back to back zero and nine. I mean, dude, that's amazing. You've gone zero and eighteen in locks the last two weeks, and if we want to go back to three weeks, you are two and twenty five. I was 49 and 39 on the season at the conclusion of week 11. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Two and 25. And 25. You were the overall unit leader through week seven. Mm -hmm. You just, I mean, listen, I challenge anybody to go two and 25. Try it. Yeah. See if you could do it. You won't. You ain't as good as Chip. Chip is a phenom. He virtuoso. You can't, can't, can't get any, can't get any lower. I mean, the the season's over. At least the season's over. <laughs> At least I am not allowed to offer another regular season locks. I mean, I went like what three and eight this week, and I'm like, yeah. At least I didn't go zero and nine. <laughs> It's so funny because it's so much time is spent covering this sport. And some of the losses, like, yeah, like are way off. But there's others. Like if TCU had the touchdown that we all admitted on this show earlier was a touchdown, that's an over. That's true. That's too bad. That's too bad because that's one of the few bets I got right this week. So cry me a river. <laughs> uh, the- we we almost hit the middle. Yeah, it's true. We almost because they would not have kicked the extra point. It would have been yeah, if, if, uh, if Kansas yeah. State had scored a touchdown and it was just like right there at sixty two. Yeah, 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 I know. Incredible. Uh, chip Chip knows Chip. <laughs> Been running the chipolytics. He knows. I've been running the chipolytics. I was very, very aware of the scenarios, and I had to do HQ for post game. So I'm sitting there like live on camera. <laughs> there is documentation in the vault of me just sitting there watching this all crumble. All right, Chip, I'm going to give you something here. Right, you actually had good picks this week. You didn't play in the game. All you can do is make your picks. 
and then we'll see where the market weighs in and what the game closes at. All right. Now, Kansas State TCU over, not the right one. Got Went it. the other way. Yeah. Coastal, you took eight and a half. It closed six and a half. That's a great bet. If you could, you should bet more on that. It got blown away. Sure. Boise three. What did Boise close? Three and some juice. So, like, not on the wrong side of, of where that's closing. Ohio plus two. Boise played like some dumbasses, though. So, <laughs> now, Ohio plus two with Finn, you know, like that's that that moved that line, but like obviously McCall moved that. UCF closed. What did they close? Three. Yeah. So, you, you took UCF four. It closed three. You beat the market by a full point on, onto a key number three. And at 31 28, things looked a little spicy, but yikes. Yeah. Like I mean, yeah. Sideways slate. LSU Georgia, you took under 52. It closed 51 and a half. So I see some 51s out there. So again, not on the wrong side of the move there. Purdue, you took 17. It closed 15. Again, that's a good bet. UNC plus seven and a half. It closed seven. Uh, looks like six and a half at Circa, which will take like 50,000 at game time. CLV, CLV does not buy you ice cream. <laughs> As no, but no, but if you're fading chips picks here, like this week, like last week, I'm not really sure about chips picks last week. This week, I looked at it. I'm like, damn, Chip had some really bad luck this week. Like, if you faded chips picks this week, you won. If you fade somebody's picks, you go seven and two CLV every week. You're probably going to be filing for bankruptcy. Chip is fond of saying that the sharps are wrong forty percent of the time. <laughs> the super sharps are wrong one hundred percent of the time. Okay. <laughs> Um, anyway, that's uh, enough of that. Uh, that. That's just for the people who yeah. came, who, who listen to us every single daggum week. We've had like 900 episodes or something where we've been breaking down all of our picks. So uh, if, if you're with us for that, then uh, I'm sure you enjoy that. If you came for actual football analysis, what did Michigan show us against Purdue? It's the best team in the Big Ten. I mean, it's this was Purdue came out really well in the first half and made this a game, but this was really a pretty simple story. Like Michigan finished its drives. Purdue did not. And that was the, you know, that that's told the whole tale. Like Michigan, every time it got into, into Purdue territory, it scored a touchdown. I don't know the final count, but I know the last time I checked Purdue had gotten inside the Michigan 30 six times had one touchdown, four field goals, and an interception. You are not going to pull off an upset that way, and that's exactly what they did not do. They ended up losing by 21 when they were 15-and-a-half, 16-point underdogs. And Michigan offensively, like, this was not an incredible performance. They averaged seven yards per play, but J.J. McCarthy, 11 for 17, 161 yards, three touchdowns, one terrible interception. Donovan Edwards finished with 185 yards rushing and a touchdown, but a lot of that came in the second half, and two, like 87 of those yards came on two runs, period. The other 23 were how we got the other you know, 98 yards there. So it wasn't Michigan at its best, but that's just kind of how it is. Michigan doesn't have to be at its best to beat Purdue. It doesn't have to be at its best to beat most of the teams in the Big Ten. So... I didn't really learn anything about this Wolverines team that we didn't already know. It was just a solid performance by the Wolverines who cruised to a 20.1-point win over a Purdue team that played well but didn't play damn near good enough to beat the Wolverines. I Honestly, I, and, and t Tom nailed the most important point here, right? In the open field, Purdue moved the ball. 
in the compressed area, Purdue could not move it into the end zone against Michigan. Like that is really all she wrote on this ball game. But it to me, it didn't really feel like Michigan was 21 points better than Purdue for most of the night. But it, I also never really thought that Michigan was going to lose to Purdue, even when Purdue was kind of flirting and, and you know the, the game was was pretty close at the half because it very much felt to me like, oh, Purdue just wasted its opportunities to win this game. Like if Purdue wanted to win the game, it needed to cash in on those chances it had in the first half, make Michigan play from behind, et cetera. It couldn't do that. Like it, they're just a lot better than than Purdue is. And, you know, Purdue is a team that can make you have some trouble in space in the compressed area, a little tougher. Yeah, that that's the story of Michigan's entire season. It's like, ah, they were close, but you never actually thought they were going to lose. That's pretty much how their entire season has gone. And if they weren't blowing people out, even when it was close, it never felt dangerous. So how uh, how many eyes did we have on Tulane against uh, against UCF? Every time I looked up, Tulane was scoring from like eighty yards. <laughs> so this was a very interesting situation because we talked a lot going into it about the quarterback, uh, the health of the quarterback room. Is Plumley going to play? Is Plumley going to play? So Plumley is going to play. Uh, Mikey Keene not even dressed out for this game. But then Plumley gets benched, like benched. It or is he hurt? Is it, is it because he couldn't? He was not effective running the ball the same way he was when he had 176 yards against Tulane's defense the first time out. But he gets benched. They go uh, to the true freshman, Castellanos, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That I will say this is a name to know for you guys out there. Okay, so. Andrew Ivins and I had him at Elite 11 last year in Orlando. He's a Georgia kid, played quarterback in high school, really wanted to play quarterback. He had running back offers or like athlete offers from Georgia, Florida State, Auburn. Like he's that level of athlete. Uh, like I've, if, you, if you're getting recruited to play running back for Georgia, that, that's, a, that's a different level sure. cat, right? But he wanted to play quarterback. Gus, which, which runs that, I don't want to call it wing T, but it, it's that's it's. Ah, really, there were right? some wing T plays that they were running. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So, like you, you stick him in there long term. I'm very high on him in that offense because he can throw just enough. If you're not asking him to be more of like a pure drop back guy, um, so I, I don't, I don't hate what they did there, but it's also a freshman, right? But they, they couldn't throw the ball at all with Castellanos, yeah. and then they put Plumley back in in the third quarter, and all of a sudden the passing game is open, and like which is a shock because he sucks at passing. <laughs> like there's nothing in, in his record this year that suggests he can throw the ball well. But it was better than it, it was better than what they had early in the game. And so that's fair. You know, UCF gets this thing all the way back to 31-28, but the UCF defense was just getting diced yeah, up by Michael Pratt all the last three weeks. It's been bad. Long. Yeah, it is uh, the explosive plays that he was able to hit through this game were basically all throughout. Honestly, this could have been more of a blowout. Tulane just had a couple of turnover on downs in UCF territory, a couple of turnovers, a lost fumble, and an interception. Like Tulane won this game. They had 631 yards of offense. They had only cracked 500 once this season, mm -hmm. and it was against South Florida. Like, yeah, Chip, like, they had, I mean, like, stat broadcast says, regardless, like 648, 631. They did it oh, on 60. They did it on 64 plays, yeah. one of which was a kneel down. They averaged a first down per play, 10.1.
And that's the thing. Like, I don't care who UCF's quarterback was. Tulane had a passing play of 54 yards, of 43 yards, of 73 yards, of 60 yards. They had a rushing play of 60, a rushing play of 56. Like, it doesn't matter. There was no beating Tulane when your defense is playing like that. And, I mean, UCF's defense, for the most part, for like the beginning of the season, had been playing very well. And it just kind of, I don't know if they've had injuries they've been dealing with or what. But they fell off the face of the earth the last few weeks, and it just kind of all culminated today. They got steamrolled. There's been a couple guys who've been banged up, and I did not think they were like that level banged up. Mm-hmm. You know that that was uh, that was disappointing for sure. That was, and like late in this game, I mean, somewhat late, honestly. UCF cut this to three. It was twenty four twenty one at some point, and then Tulane was like, "Bye, we're, we're okay. We're taking we're taking this to a level you guys don't have today." If Cade Klubnick had been the quarterback for the regular season finale against South Carolina, is Clemson in the college football playoff? No. It's a good, it's a great question. Because that's what a Clemson fan is. A Clemson fan is thinking right now that if Cade had been the quarterback against South Carolina, then Clemson wins that game. And if Cade started the game against North Carolina, the result is as lopsided. And Clemson shows up on Selection Sunday as a one-loss conference champion with a quarterback change that has sparked great results and suggests that the Tigers are deserving to take the spot that will be vacated by USC. But we have to grade on the scale, the sliding scale of you're playing North Carolina. Like, we have seen backup quarterbacks and third-string quarterbacks and fourth-string quarterbacks lead their offenses against this North Carolina defense. So if I'm a Clemson fan, thrilled with what I saw from Klubnik, I'm thrilled about the prospect of what I might see next season. Got feeling good about it. But if he was starting last week, I don't know that it makes much of a difference. If he'd been starting all season, I don't think it makes that much of a difference. Like maybe you maybe you don't lose to South Carolina, but you might have lost to somebody else along the way. So you might have still been in the same boat. So I, I, it's easy to play coulda, woulda, shoulda. But I just, I don't think Clemson's problems all stem from the quarterback. It's something we've talked about all year. It's this offense in general. It's it's stodgy. It's predictable. And if Klubnik had started all year as a freshman, there would have been an adjustment period, and would the offense have been all that different? Because we saw Club Nick at times. It's right. not like he didn't play all year, and it's not like he was tearing it up when he did play. Well, that's what Dabo said at halftime. He was going to halftime, and he was like, you know, we we put him in against Notre Dame. He threw an interception. So then we took him out. We put him in here in this game. He played well, so we're going to keep riding with him. Mm-hmm. So, And North Carolina super banged up. I mean, I'm not making excuses. They played bad. Always caping for your heels. That that is famously what they do say. Yeah. Always caping for my beloved heels and their conference USA defense. <laughs> Carolina's conference USA defense. <laughs> There's some conference USA defenses that would take offense to to being compared to Carolina. <laughs> it's 
going to say, let's power rank Conference USA defenses and figure out where we All would right. put North Carolina. Fine. Let's do it. Do you know, do you know right. what the real jerk move is? And this is right like, here. so I don't know if you guys can see this, but like, so Carolina always calls around big sporting events. They do their fundraiser stuff. Yep. You know? So it's like, oh, North Carolina's playing the ACC championship game. Let's call all the alumni. Like this is this is the time when we're gonna try to start getting the money. Sorry, guys, you're, you're all blanked. No pickup. <laughs> Chip blocked that number. But yeah, I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll pledge a thousand dollars for every stop you guys get. <laughs> <laughs> all right, defenses in the CUSA that I have as clearly worse than Carolina. Uh, Charlotte, Rice. Louisiana Tech, FIU, Louisiana Tech. Middle of the road conference USA defense. I would say North Texas is is worse. Yeah. But once you get past that, it kind of starts getting. I kind of have in that North Texas, Middle Tennessee range. (laughs) You got to start thinking about it, which is not a good sign. Do you know who is is like probably having a drink tonight and be like, "Mm -hmm. wasn't totally my fault? Jay Bateman. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah for sure yeah he's like oh i i, I was the problem I, I was the guy who got fired I, I think he's on florida staff now he's like, okay yeah so hunter johnson was five of five hunter johnson was five of five against carolina's defense tonight That's, he's like 50 years old <laughs> yeah coming up on the other side more of our championship saturday takeaways plus expectations for Deion Sanders at Colorado and more next now streaming on Paramount Plus you ready Bob well, right. audiences are raving Bob Marley is electrifying it's the feel good movie of the year you dig? Bob Marley one love rated PG-13 now streaming on Paramount Plus new CBS Sunday you collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions and you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Elsewhere. Troy gets it done. They finish out an 11 and two season with a 45 to 26 win against coastal. Uh, I look Grayson McCall played, but he didn't look right. That yeah. offense was not clicking at all. Troy just thumped uh, the Chanticleers early on Fresno state brought the pain to Boise. Boise could not get anything going offensively uh, against the Bulldogs. Jay Kaner, uh, gets himself a a Mountain West Conference Championship win. Jeff Tedford as well. You know Toledo gets it done against Ohio. What else stood out from Conference Championship Saturday? I mean, Troy threw the ball effectively today. Uh, and effectively is probably understating this. They were twelve of seventeen for three eighteen. That's not bad. That's a quarterback rating for Gunnar Watson of two hundred eighty six. Uh, that that did not go to form at all. Like I figured that they would probably try to run it a lot, win a defensive game, not let McCall run around on them, and they they did run it a lot. But they 
I mean, they were up super early in this thing that the total yards don't really tell us, you know, like they don't really tell the tale. They, they were up so early in this thing. Watson, just some huge plays, throws of 67, 65. So shout out to Troy there. Obviously, we'll see if uh, uh, we'll see if Jamie Chadwell takes liberty. Um, uh, it looks like, I mean, <laughs> based on where Coastal was at today, it was 31 to nothing just after the 10 minute mark of the second quarter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, this is reckless and unfair, but my thought was like, oh, he's gone. He's going to kill it there. Oh, Jamie Chadwell's going to kill it at Liberty. If he goes there, yeah. Like, think about who else is in the CUSA. And, I mean, you freeze just used that as a springboard job. Granted, he already had the SEC experience, but uh, he's, I mean, Chadwell's he's done to a hell of a job of that program. And now he's, he's going, going to a lesser sports. league. Yeah, he's going to a lesser league, but he's going to have more money there. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, Li- Liberty and the CUSA might look like FSU and the ACC in the nine in the early nineties. Just where it's like, are you guys, are you guys investing in anything? Are you trying here? Like it's they if they do that right, they should run through that league every year. So, speaking of coaching changes, speaking of expectations. What are the expectations for Deion Sanders taking over at Colorado? Okay, so there's only two ways this can go, right? This is either he's competing and playing for Pac-12 championship by year three or failing spectacularly, right? There's no in-between? No, because I think that you can very quickly get to a middling. I think that... The roster work that can be done by Deion Sanders, both in terms of who he brings with him, the recruiting that he can do out of high school, not necessarily immediately, but at least in a two to three year window, and what he can do in the transfer portal mean that this Colorado program can so quickly jump three to four programs in the Pac-12 and get to a win three to four conference games a year type position. Like I think that Colorado immediately can jump into bowl contention. And I think that it'll be very difficult to get Colorado to the point where you are then jumping ahead of the teams at the very top of the pac 12. I just think that the, with Cal with Stanford and I love Arizona, but like, I think that there is a softer underbelly that Deion Sanders and the personnel work that he can do with this roster, he will be able to jump the buffs out of the basement and at least into that middle group immediately. But I don't know how much he's going to be able to do in the transfer portal at Colorado. So the, this is interesting, right? On on, on Friday, uh, at Adam Mustertiger, right, who runs Buff Stampede, our, our 24-7 sports Colorado site, and does a really good job. Like it, It's hard to find consistent quality Colorado coverage out there. And they, they do a nice job. I do want to give them a shout out. I was talking to him. And I was like, because he asked me for some quotes for, for an article he was writing because he, he figured it would be Dion. I think he had some good sources on that. And I said, like, I need to know before I give you these quotes, can Colorado get transfers in? Because everything I heard was that it was very difficult for them to get transfers in. And that roster ain't close to competing. So he's like, yeah, from what we've been hearing, they are going to have some changes in terms of who they allow in transfer-wise, and make the process a little bit easier. And I said, okay, well, in that case, I think Dion will probably take 15, maybe 18 transfers in year one, right? right? Like, that. that's that's pretty clear. And if you look at it, 
Dion got a lot of praise for recruiting well at Jackson State, and he had some extremely high-profile wins, like Travis Hunter. However, I think every starter on the offensive line, or everyone but one, I looked at, at it this morning, they were transfers down from you know FBS, mm-hmm. most of them not Power 5, at least FBS down to the SWAC, which is a pretty bad FCS league, right? If you look at kind of the power ratings that like Sagarin and those guys put out there. Jackson State is the exception within that league because they have a whole bunch of former FBS players all of a sudden playing in the SWAC as transfers. How many high-quality P5 transfers who want a fresh start, who want to come play for Dion, will go play for him? I think there will probably be a decent number. But I don't know that the success he had at Jackson State as far as like dominating the league or, or just – can you out talent everybody, or can yeah. you out talent like Cal? Sure, Stanford. I believe Stanford's going to change when I see it. So, I think Colorado could get better than Stanford pretty quickly. Also, Stanford's having a mass exodus. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Like last yep. three days, mm-hmm. Stanford's roster is getting cooked. But, but Colorado could jump ahead of Washington State. Colorado could jump ahead of Oregon State. I don't think it'll happen immediately. I don't think in one State. year. No. no, not in one year. But I'm saying like if we want to try to do a two to three year like. What is the ceiling for Colorado? I have respect for what is happening right now. Like year one, Dan Lanning at Oregon is impressive. Year one, Kalen DeBoer at Washington is impressive. They inherited much better situations. Right, but I'm just saying that it's like to assume that, especially in a divisionless Pac-12, that Colorado is going to jump right to Pac-12 championships. I do think that is getting ahead of your skis, but I do think it's not going to be hard to at least – jump into the place where you are not in the basement anymore with Deion Sanders. So we we assume he's taking Shador, right? Yes, and Travis. Okay. Do you think he has to re-recruit him? Uh, You sure on Travis? No, I'm not sure, but you said you assumes. Like, my assumption is that we're going to look at Hunter, we're going to look at Sanders, we're going to look at probably like two to three other players all leaving with Deion to go to Colorado. So, like, I don't know that these Jackson State offensive linemen can play at Colorado, right? Like, they, a lot of them couldn't play at Louisiana Monroe and Texas State-level programs. The, the SWAC is just such a lower-level league compared to even, like, the bottom Sunbelt teams, right? I mean, this Jackson State team last year, they lost to Louisiana Monroe, right? The, the, I don't know exactly how many kids you can take off that roster. Hunter will be interesting. If Hunter transfers – there will be a ton of NIL come there, right? So How much of that follows him to, to to Colorado? I don't know. We'll see. That's why I don't know if Travis Hunter's following him to Colorado because when Travis like, Hunter – Athens will be interested. Tallahassee will be interested. Mm-hmm. Everybody will be interested if he hits a portal. When Hunter went to Jackson State, playing at an HBCU played a large role it. in that decision. Yeah. Colorado, I mean, unless he's interested in playing in like a Patagonia school, I don't think really qualifies for what he was looking for at Jackson State. So I don't know that we should assume that. I think it's possible. I mean, he might really enjoy playing for Dion. He's a defensive back, and Dion, back in his day, kind of good as a defensive back, just decent, you know. So (laughs) he could follow. It's just I don't think we should assume that because I do think if he's leaving Jackson State, like Bud just said, there's going to be plenty of interested suitors. Also, the guys who transferred into Jackson State may not be able to transfer back if they don't have their, their degrees already. Right, mm. because the, the, you only get one free transfer. I I think as long as Colorado is actually, you know, relaxing its transfer rules, I think he will improve the roster quite a bit. 
I don't know who's in their non-conference schedule for next year. Probably should look that up live on air, I guess. But um, it's not crazy to think that they could make a bowl if he really kills the transfer portal. But that's going to depend on their non-con. If they have to go play like at TCU, that's that's tough. Yeah. TCU, Nebraska, Colorado State. Ooh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, in that case, I, I would be surprised if they make a bowl next year. But I think they'll be more competitive. I mean, they're they're a bottom 15 team in the country this year, guys. Yeah, they are currently number two in my bottom 25. If Dion gets into like 85th next year, that's a pretty good jump. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. a reasonable jump if you have a, a decent quarterback. I, I assume Shador will win that job because they don't have anybody right now. Um, I mean, Matt Rule's losing to Dion in Boulder. Listen, I will that just be happy. I've tried to bet these guys at that times. That is a coaching year, advantage for Prime. Like, yeah, USC's back. Like, they, they were in a perfect spot to cover against USC. USC's backups are just, a, and USC's not a deep team, right? USC pulls all its starters, backups are in. They're going up and down the field as Colorado team. Utah could have scored 80 if they wanted to like, two weeks ago, right? So, I don't know. The, the, this roster is in, is in a tough spot. Also, Colorado State might not be as bad next year. No. I'm I just happy Colorado and Nebraska are playing, though, because I love that rivalry. Over- I want to see how he does with high school kids, by the way. Yeah. Like, can you get high school kids to Boulder? I think that if you were to look for the, like, the x-axis and the y-axis of where, like, what is the best job where Dion will also be able to have the most influence across the institution and athletic department? Colorado's probably your maximum for both that was available. Is Dion Rick George's fourth or fifth football coach? So, Darrell, Tucker. Did Rick George hire Mike Mack? I think so. Hmm. So yeah, it's like his fourth or fifth coach. I do not think that D De- I think that Dion at Colorado is able to establish what he wants to establish in a way that he might have faced more backlash at Cincinnati. How the so? expectations at Cincinnati are also a lot tougher, right? Yeah. Like, if if Dion doesn't work out at Colorado, it's very easy for Dion to say, "Hey, man, I know what I'm doing. I went, I, I won 22 ball games in two years at Jackson State. I turned that program totally around. Colorado was just a hellhole when I got here, roster wise, and it's very tough given the restrictions that we have here. He has an easy out. Cincinnati, if they lose, it looks bad because Cincinnati's been dominating its league for quite right. a while, and now they're going into a much tougher league." And Cincinnati has had success under multiple head coaches yeah. in this century. Do we think Cincinnati was like legitimately a choice for him here? I don't know, but if, if I thought it was more like Colorado USF, and then Colorado went to five million allegedly, and then you know, like if the money if, if the money was similar, I, I think it goes to USF. Oh, and USF uh, just got um, Galesh. Galesh. Mm-hmm. That's done tonight officially. Yeah, I don't know if it's official yet, but 
That's uh that's very interesting. I mean, like I I figured they were, were going to go for a guy with head coaching experience. They just took a an offense coordinator prior from an orange team, <laughs> right? But they will they'll score points. I think the, the that that uh, that whole coaching tree is trying not to call that the Browns offense anymore for obvious reasons. Like if I worked for that coaching tree, I can't and, wonder why. And, and I, I, I don't think Galesh ever worked for Browns. Like, so I don't want to tie him to that. Right. They, they, they want to call it the beer and shoot. Now it's probably fair to do so, you know, like hype never worked for him. Right. He just, they, they mm-hmm. run the same scheme. So that thing, wherever it goes, seems to score points almost always. And, Unlike like the Clemson offense, which does not seem to score points wherever it goes. So I do think USF will score points. I just don't know enough about Galesh to say if he'll do a good job with all the other things that come with being head coach. Well, what were the other options? They were just all in on Dion then. Because like the the way these dominoes are falling sounds like I was like- thinking maybe Tom Allen, if he wanted to restart the clock, like you if they have another year like this, are they are they really keeping Tom Allen around for twenty four? I don't know. I mean, I don't know how it's. I don't know what the situation is there, honestly, with that going forward. I think that I would advise he wins a couple more Big Ten games next year at a minimum just to be safe. So when we gather together tomorrow after the release of the college football playoff semifinal matchups, what do we think it looks like? Georgia, Ohio State. Michigan TCU. Michigan yes. TCU. Mm-hmm. Georgia Ohio State in the Peach Bowl. Michigan TCU in the Fiesta. And if there is any surprise, what is it? It's, I won't be here. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't. I don't think we have a surprise. I, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the only thing that would surprise me is if USC shows up in the top four, because I really do not think Alabama has a shot, no matter how much people want to pretend it does. U.S. people stop it pretty hard. I mean, obviously Saban, but um, I, I don't know, Chip, maybe seating, right? In, in that maybe there's some people in the committee room who think Ohio State over TCU, we should not uh, reward Georgia with making them play Ohio State Let's not have a national championship rematch. Let's have the rematch be in the desert. Let's run that back. And the winner of that goes and plays the winner of Georgia TCU. I maybe we could have that. I, I, I could see that happening, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned last night that maybe they put Ohio State at three simply for ratings in the semis. Just to say Ohio State, Michigan, Fiesta Bowl, New Year's Eve. Yeah, because the title game's doing numbers no matter who plays in it. At least this way you can maybe juice a semi. Yeah. La- lazy, lazy take here. I don't even want to expand on it. But uh, as we sit here at the end of conference championship Saturday, there's two 13-0 teams. It have been a really good BCS. Oh, you don't say. So like every other year, you could have just put two teams in and been done just, with it. Crazy. Just, let's, let's just let Georgia and Michigan play. Yeah. Let's just have the winner be the national champion. Think of all the headaches we'd have saved ourselves. Oh, but the money. Two over four, 12 over four, eight over four. Fine with it. I I just think four is a bad number. Like, not to go to that debate again at 1230 night, but I don't mind the BCS. It generally worked. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
too late. Like once every decade, you had a third team that could cry that it maybe deserved a shot, and it was a legitimate cry, but I would take that over this every single damn time where I have Alabama fans crying because their two-lost team's going to get weft out. Okay, I will say, if we do have video, did you all see the viral video of the Ohio State fan who threw the bottle at the wall when Ohio State was introduced as the number five team in the rankings release video from this past Tuesday? Yeah. So it's sitting there, and they show it on the screen, and they're like, number six, and they flash it on the screen, like, number five, the Ohio State Buckeyes. And you just hear this glass shatter as a bottle got thrown against the wall on the penultimate playoff rankings. And if, I mean, if, if we get to see some, uh, some televisions get punched and bottles get thrown over Alabama being introduced as dramatically as number five, I'm not happy for the violence in these households, but I might laugh. <laughs> not a lot. I mean, I'll least. probably throw a bottle if Alabama shows up at four. I, I, I know that will happen. Yeah. We'll see. Again, we will be back uh, on Sunday. Once we have the semifinal set, we'll uh, do a quick little preview of both of those semifinals matchups. Uh, then on Monday... We will have uh, some full reaction. Tom Fernelli, for those of you who've been with us for a while, you know that this man pours over the bowl schedule and puts together the comprehensive, the authoritative ranking of every single bowl game. So that will be Monday's show, our official bowl rankings on the Cover 3 podcast, courtesy of Tom Fernelli, our favorite matchups, uh, the ones that we're very excited about. Sounds like most of our coaching carousel news seems to be settled, but boy, you never know what's lurking around the corner. So always keep your eyes out for those sirens in your feed. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Elliott 3 You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. A new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!